Welcome to the G2 on 5G. I'm Will Townsend with more insights and strategy. I cover networking, infrastructure, and carrier services. And with me is Anshul Sag. Uh, we have uh, six topics in about 15 minutes, so let's get started. My first topic this week is Huawei. Uh, they conducted their uh, analyst summit. Uh, it was digital this year, and I found it interesting on a couple of different fronts. Um, one, uh, they spoke to the fact that um, over the last year, they doubled their uh, R&D uh, budget. It's actually quite significant. It's averaged about 15% uh, of their gross revenue. They've doubled that. In my mind, that's no surprise because, um, you know, given the, uh, the, the entity listings and the restrictions, um, they're going to have to uh, make some further investments in their supply chain as uh, U.S. manufacturers move away from them. Um, I also found it interesting that they spoke to uh, their, their patents and they claim that they have over 85,000 uh, patents issued since 2019 and they claim over $6 billion in patent expenses related to that and they're uh, vowing to make that available and really, really focus on open source. And I think all of that um, is pretty timely because it, it has been confirmed now that uh, the U.S. will uh, require licensing of semiconductor companies that use American semiconductor manufacturing equipment, uh, you know, in the supply of uh, a final product there. So, um, you know, I, I believe that this is probably these, you know, these factoids were probably preemptive, given that Huawei was expecting that. And I know, I know, Angel, that you follow this quite closely as well. Do you have any insights to add? Yeah, I mean. They have a long road ahead of them. Um, they thankfully are a fabulous company, um, but it's also now a, a vulnerability and a liability mm -hmm. because now they have to find fabs that will fab their chips in China. And um, that, I think that's gonna be a big hurdle for them long-term because um, the closest fabs in China to what's happening, what's capable or possible in, in Taiwan or in, in Korea mm -hmm. um, is years behind, many years behind. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's only gonna, the gap is only gonna get wider as uh, lower um, process nodes continue to require more and more complex and expensive equipment, which the Chinese fab don't have access to because of entity lists and such. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I, you know, I'm not even sure doubling re-R&D is going to be enough for them to overcome um, all the different hurdles that, because they, there's software, hardware, and engineering mm -hmm. hurdles that all need to be overcome. And uh, it's a significant undertaking um, that I do not envy, but um, yeah, it's uh, an unfortunate position to be in for them. And uh, they're just going to have to, you know, try to fight their way out of it. Yeah, no, I agree. And, you know, you mentioned their, their design capabilities, high silicon. It's no secret that, that um, that's a Huawei organization. It's been design only and it's been fabulous, you know, so they could certainly throw, you know, the tens of billion dollars required to fab up. But to your point, um, there's some tribal knowledge there that, you know, just the Chinese in general are, are far behind. So it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. So let's, uh, let's shift to your first topic of the week. And you want to talk a little bit about T-Mobile. Yeah, so um, T-Mobile had um, their big uncare announcement this week, um, which was really centered around 
giving free access to first responders. Um, and they, it's not just like a, a one-year promotion or a COVID-19 related thing. Mm -hmm. This is part of a broader uh, strategy from the company uh, where they will be actually doing a decade-long um, initiative, mm -hmm. uh, which is a very long-term kind of approach. Um, but I think that, you know, they're, they're looking for customers that um, they just couldn't get before. And I think uh, eventually what's going to happen is they're going to, you know, become the one-stop shop for a lot of places and uh, they're going to get other paid business in addition to this um, for services and things like that in addition to the connectivity because you know they, they're doing this out of the goodness of their hearts you know partially because they promised they would mm -hmm. um, for the merger conditions but i also think yeah. they're doing it because there's going to be a there is a business um, element to this and um, in addition to that this week they also um, had someone from uh, the company that makes uh, speed test Ookla, mm -hmm. um, actually uh, went out and tested their new network um, in New York. And uh, he was getting north of one gig per second um, on their 2.5 gigahertz only network, um, not even utilizing their millimeter wave or their sub six, 600 megahertz mm -hmm. stuff. So, um, yeah, there's an insane amount of potential there if that's the kind of bandwidth that they're getting with sub six, 2.5 gigahertz. So I'm very excited to see that. And uh, I hope that more places are gonna be able to um, accomplish those kinds of speeds. But realistically, New York is their best network in terms of infrastructure and spectrum. Mm -hmm. um, so I have a strong feeling that you're still probably gonna look at 800 to a, a gig just on 2.5, which is still impeccable. Um, and then when you start adding millimeter wave and, and sub six, you start getting some really satisfying speeds. Yeah, that that's, you know, that's incredible given, you know, you mentioned it's, you know, we're not talking millimeter wave, you know, an interesting point. I tuned in to um, the, the new CEO, Mike Siebert's uh, Twitter announcement on all of this. And an interesting thing about this Heroes program where they're offering, you know, like you mentioned, this 10 year access to service. You know that that that's you know obviously that's that's data service and voice, and and 5G as well. Um, he mentioned that this, the potential savings uh, could be in the billions of dollars, and that those 7. dollars seven point seven billion. Yeah, and those dollars could be reallocated to other things. So I mean, this is pretty significant. I mean, T-Mobile is really uh, is really putting something significant out there. So I, quite frankly, was pretty blown away by that. So awesome, great insight there. Let's shift to my second topic, uh, and this is something that was sort of late-breaking last week. Rakuten came out and, and stated that uh, they were going to see some delays in the rollout of their 5G network, um, blaming COVID-19 for that. What's interesting, just a, about a month prior, their CEO, uh, Tarek, was interviewed uh, and, uh, and stated that they felt like things were on track that you know, they weren't gonna see any materially effect, you know, material effects of COVID-19. So it's sort of interesting you know, that you know, the conflicting messages that we're seeing just in the span of uh, several weeks. Now, obviously, you know, no one can ex you know, expect what's gonna, what's gonna come with COVID-19, but I would suspect because they're doing things uh, very um, aggressively using virtualization and, and open RAN and that sort of thing that they're probably running into some some roadblocks and some challenges, you know, with the software. And I'm, I'm wondering if you have any insight into that as well. Yeah, I think it's, it's a difficult situation. Um, I think they're not necessarily um, 
saying why those delays are happening. Um, but, you know, I think the reality is, is that you, you just have a limited amount of resources mm -hmm. and things are getting harder to acquire um, and things are taking longer to deliver. So it might actually, it could actually be more of a hardware um, problem than a software one, even mm -hmm. though this is a software based solution. Yeah. Um, you know, it could just be that they can't get the equipment that they need um, to make this happen in time. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I'm noticing that happening in a lot of places. For example, um, in the PC hardware segment, um, power supplies are basically in short supply. Um, and because of that, you can't build any new computers. Right. Or if you do, you're overpaying for power supply or you're getting one that's not the spec. So mm -hmm. um, I have a feeling that might be a part of it. But um, yeah, it's, it's a weird situation, especially with the conflicting positioning for management. Um, but I think it's also because some people may or may not be aware of what the challenges are that are currently in place. Yeah, and I think it's easy to blame COVID-19 um, and you can't, you can't do that forever. You know, we're beginning to come out of this, thank goodness. Uh, but that's interesting, I didn't think about that, that it could definitely be supply chain related. I mean. My daughter wanted a Nintendo Switch for her birthday, and they are not to be found, you know. So, um, you know, and that's definitely been affected by, you know, the, the shelter in and COVID-19. So it will be interesting to see how, how things progress there. But let's, let's shift to your second topic this week, and you wanted to speak a little bit about um, Verizon and 5G. Yeah, so they actually made a lot of announcements this week, um, mostly around improving their network. Um, so they, specifically around their 5G network, so they announced a couple partnerships um, with uh, different vendors, including uh, companies like Movandi. Um, mm -hmm. And Movandi is kind of helping them rebroadcast their millimeter wave signal to improve coverage, but also not making them have to drop more fiber sites. Mm -hmm. um, but the big thing was actually that they upgraded their 5G upload to um, a 100 megahertz block of spectrum from 20 mm -hmm. megahertz which they claim conservatively uh, is going to be 30% faster than what 4G delivers today. Mm -hmm. But um, PC Mag went out and tested it themselves and actually got 50% faster upload speeds, which 50% faster is pretty significant, especially when you consider that most of the improvements we've been seeing um, on network speeds have been on the downlink and not on the uplink. Yeah. So 50% faster upload is pretty significant. And it also means that you get off the, the network faster, which means you suck down less power because mm -hmm. what people don't realize is download is, takes a lot of power, but yeah. upload takes up even more power. Right. Um, so being able to get your uploads done more quickly means your battery life is better if you're uploading stuff, which nowadays a lot of people are doing. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I think it's a big deal. And that's one of the big benefits of 5G, especially millimeter wave is having faster upload speeds because mm -hmm. it's not all about the down anymore. People are doing lots of content creation and sharing. Yeah. And if you're on TikTok all day and you make your own TikToks, um, uploading those is going to happen over the network. You're most likely not going to just be doing them at home. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's, it's a big deal. And uh, it's good to see that Verizon starting to finally um, upgrade their 5G network and improve coverage and, and, you know, start to be a little bit more competitive in that space. Yeah, I know that it's, I think it's a great move on their part. You know, I, you know, you and I have spent time with Nikki Palmer and, uh, you know, every time we meet with Nikki, you know, she kind of speaks to, you mentioned fiber and Verizon has an incredible fiber footprint, right? So I think this will only help improve 
uh, you know, the performance of their, of their 5G networks going forward. So um, great insights. Let's, uh, let's shift to my third uh, topic of this week, and it's about SoftBank. And boy, what a change a year makes, right? I mean, a year ago, you know, uh, SoftBank was um, running all, on all guns and, you know, and, and now, you know, there was word this week around um, their possible divestiture of their $20 billion position in the equity post-merger with, you know, obviously Sprint was a SoftBank um, portfolio company. And so that's, that's not surprising to me. Uh, WeWork has been one of their portfolio companies and we all know where WeWork has gone. And, you know, OneWeb, you know, OneWeb was high flying. They were this low orbit, you know, satellite service and now they're in chapter 11. And, and when you look at their, uh, their vision fund performance over the last year, the loss is staggering. It's nearly $18 billion and that's putting roughly about 15 of uh, their other portfolio companies at risk. So, um, you know, I, I, you know, this doesn't, this doesn't, you know, bode well necessarily for SoftBank, but, you know, I think, you know, I don't know. I mean, if, if, if they, if they divest, you know, that 20 billion position in stock, I mean, how do you think that's going to affect things? Do you think that materially affects the new T-Mobile in any way? No, I actually think it's a mistake. Um, I think that they're doing it mostly because, uh, they're in a desperate position to take their wins when they have them. Sure. Um, it's, they're not acting rationally. Um, not that very many people would agree that they ever have, to be fair, because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. a lot of people disagree with their investment strategies. Right. Um, but I would say that in general, um, the new T-Mobile is just the beginning of in terms of its value. Mm-hmm. Um, because if T-Mobile really does deliver what they've been promising for their 5G network, um, I think they're going to be making some significant improvements in terms of, um, you know, return of capital to investors, share price, profitability, um, you know, customer base, everything is going to grow and that's going to reflect well upon investors and selling at, you know, right at the point where um, they effectively are just starting um, it yeah. doesn't really make much sense. That said, um, Sprint was a, a poor acquisition on SoftBank's, um, you know, decision process. It was a quick one. And I think that they made a mistake over leveraging themselves buying Sprint because they couldn't invest any more money in the, into Sprint, even though they needed to. And that's kind of what caused, it was like the second mistake that kind of screwed Sprint over. Um, after the WiMAX situation. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that um, SoftBank is just exiting and taking their win because now they can, you know, they don't have, because they bought Sprint, selling Sprint, um, they did it, right? So um, at this point, I think they're just trying to take their, they're trying to take their, their wins and, and get out, you know, get their whatever profit they've made, if they've made any, and um, and get out. But yeah, uh, no, I think it's yeah, a mistake. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree as well. To your point, you know, T-Mobile has proven to be disruptive over, you know, over the course of its uh, its journey in the market in the U.S. And it just seems too early. I mean, that $20 billion position could be $30 billion, you know, two, three years out, you know, if, um, if they continue to apply that same disruption and that value delivery in consumer now to a broader portfolio, a broader spectrum footprint, 
and the business acumen and services that Sprint, Sprint brings along with it. So right. um, I concur with you on that. And so the, yeah. the, one, the one point I wanted to add was their share price prior to COVID-19 hit $100 as a result of their business growth. Mm -hmm. um, they closed the AT&T deal, which was right after COVID really took, tanked the markets. Their price has already rebounded. And I mean, they're at $94 right now, but a couple of days ago, they were back at over 100 and at, mm. they were at a record high. So I don't see this trajectory stopping. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I just, I just don't really see it making much sense. But, you know, they may have some things they have to deal with. Yeah, no, I agree. Well, let's shift to your final topic. And we're going to cover all three of the tier ones in, in this video podcast this week. But it's AT&T. And, you know, I think you and I and our principal, Patrick Moorhead, we've been a little critical of AT&T with what they've uh, done from a marketing and branding perspective with their evolution, their 5G evolution or their 5G identification strategy. But you've got some insight there. So we'd love to hear that. Yeah. So um, there's a, a, an organization called the National Advertising Review Board. And uh, they're kind of like a self-policing organization for the inter advertising industry. And they've reviewed AT&T's 5G marketing um, claim, decision, naming scheme, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. And they've decided that it's misleading to consumers. Mm -hmm. And um, it's basically now on AT&T to answer that judgment um, and explain to all of us why it's not wrong or just pull it back. Um, and it sounds like there may be a chance, no one really knows, whether AT&T may actually get rid of 5G as a um, a uh, you know marketing term, especially when you consider that they now have 5G in sub six with real coverage. And, yeah. you know, I believe the main reason why they did the 5G um, marketing terminology was primarily because they didn't have any 5G coverage um, previously because it was all millimeter waves. So they didn't really have anywhere they could throw 5G signal. And I think that they were worried that T-Mobile was gonna roll out their 600 megahertz network and, and you know hold up their phone because we have 5G everywhere and our competitor doesn't. So I think that's the main reason why they did it. I don't think it's good. I think it's a lot of confusion. Um, you know, initially a lot of people were like, oh, I have 5G on my phone. And then right. you know, that's very misleading. But eventually the truth did come out and people started correcting each other and telling them, oh, no, that's fake 5G. It's not real 5G, mm -hmm, which mm -hmm. is almost more damaging than not having it in everywhere and every place. So, yeah. um, you know, our firm, all of us are kind of aligned on our hatred of 5GE. Um, and I'm very happy to see it potentially go. I think, you know, and, and, and let's just not single at AT&T. I think there, there was confusion in the market around the very in the very early stages of deployment and I think, you know, all of the operators, you know, didn't do a tremendous job in keeping the public straight on, you know, what it was all about. And my understanding is that um, AT&T has agreed to drop the 5GE from all of its marketing collateral and, and push, but that, that icon will still remain on the phone. So we'll, we'll, see, we'll, we'll see what happens. <laughs> it's still like, I don't know. Just almost just as bad because it's, I mean, people are really looking at their phones more than they are watching ads. Sure. Um, so, and you know, they, the thing that was really upsetting was that there was a point where people, well, they realized people didn't like that, that 5GE marketing. And then they just went like double down on it with a heavy ad campaign too. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, 
I'd like it to go. Yeah. Be interesting to see where that goes, but well, great. Well, I think that wraps it up this week. Why don't you uh, take us home, Angel? Sure. Um, we hope our viewers uh, and listeners found this week's topics interesting. And if anyone would have any insights into new topics they'd like us for us to cover, um, please feel free to reach out to us on social media. Uh, Will is at Willtown Tech, uh, and I'm at Angel Sog. Um, we're both on Twitter. And uh, if you guys uh, enjoyed this weekend, it's a long one, and uh, we hope you guys uh, have a great weekend. Thanks.